Welcome to An Unknown Adventure. I'm your host, Kimberly Ann, and I finally decided to jump off the 24-7 work hamster wheel to go after my dreams. I will be downsizing from my 750-square-foot mansion to a 60-square-foot van in the summer of 2021, and I started this podcast to share that process with you. I'm hoping that it will add value to your life. And the podcast, kind of like life, is ever-evolving. The topics I will be covering are achieving your dreams, unconventional travel, and minimalism. In each episode, I'll either talk to you about my experiences or I'll interview someone else about one, two, or all three of these topics. Today is a fun interview with Jenny Ambrose of Puree Fantastico which is her design company. Jenny was so much fun to talk to, and we often dissolved into fits of laughter, and eventually we went off on a very fun movie tangent that does have to do with her business. When she first tried to explain her vision to me, I didn't really understand it, but the more she talked about it, the more tangible and beautiful it becomes. She's very passionate about expanding the concept of design, Jenny had a dream that challenges the way people think about design, and she created a company to house that dream. My name is Jenny Ambrose. I am the founder, CEO of Curie Fantastico, and I am currently living in Sarasota, Florida. In two months, I'll be moving to Seattle, Washington. Oh, that's exciting. Why are you going there? You know, I needed adventure. Uh, My husband wanted to move to Seattle before he met me, and it just seemed like, let's try that next. So we're just going. Oh, cool. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you've been to visit. Nope, never been. But we also moved to Los Angeles the same way. So we are just used to trying and seeing. Wow. Yeah. I love that. It really does work for us because when you run a business – You don't have to be anywhere. And it's one of the most freeing and frightening aspects of it because wherever you want to go, guess what? You can go. And it becomes, okay, well, what aspects are important to me? What do I like? Where do I like to live? And it turns out for me, it is trees. Nature is a big deal. And so Seattle is the biggest nature-filled city we have in America. And I'm, okay, that sold me. Mm. Cool. Yeah. It's cold because you're coming from Florida, but you're from New Jersey originally. So, yeah. It's true. And I'm, I do love the seasonal accessories. So I am looking forward to the Sherpa lined leggings and the adorable boots that you don't get to wear in Florida. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. Yeah. And what is your business? Puree Fantastico. It's a blend of anthropology and graphic design. I have a degree in both. And what I do is I use design and copywriting and strategy to really communicate with empathy, critical thinking on a cultural level. And it is amazing. We've been in business since 2008. I have a junior designer and an assistant, and my husband is my business partner, chief order of operations man. And yeah, thousands of clients later. I am the best small graphic design business in Los Angeles when we lived there and a recent recipient of the Small Business Excellent Award for 2020. Ooh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. You try not to, you know, rest on the awards, but it, it does feel good. Let's not lie. Yeah. I don't know. I've never had one, but I can imagine. <laughs> they do They do feel nice. They do feel nice. And it's it's almost like is this real? Did I get this? And it's like, yes, don't say too much about it. Just be happy. Yeah. That's cool. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. And so what are your kind of, what are the things that you hit on? Are they achieving your dreams? Unconventional travel, minimalism, or all three? Okay. Definitely not minimalism. I am a polymath. So I literally call my services the muchness. Everything is technically art supplies. So I caravan. I do not travel. If I could have a personal train, I would. But definitely achieving my dreams because just the ability to say that my business blends anthropology and design 
It's not a very common thing you hear, but for me, those two things are two sides of the same coin. And owning that and finding a way to connect with people through that and work in a business that is my own from my own vision is very rewarding because I have made a space for myself where I didn't fit in in any other space I had tried thus far. So it became very clear that running a business was the best solution for me. Mm -hmm. It became the dream that I was rewarding myself with. Okay. Okay. And can you explain what it means by the anthropology, you know, with the design? Yeah. So for me, design is anthropology made visual. So what I mean by that is the stories that we tell, either in terms of a song or a film or how we talk about a news story, all of that deals with our culture, whether we're comfortable looking at that way or not. The saying that I always use is fish don't know they're wet. So in design, you learn the ability to communicate subconsciously. And it works in propaganda and it works in advertising, but it really also works in these other ways that we don't pay attention to because we're just trying to have a nice time. And so I'm over here saying we can all have a nice time and we can use these tools that design has inherently in it to make a difference, to be more inclusive, to bring more, you know, critical thinking and empathetic language. We can do that. And if you do not want to design industry, that's cool. I will. And that's how I started my business because it was very superficial and focused on money and focused on status. And that's cool. I like a Chanel purse, but I believe that small businesses, uh, independent businesses need the tools more so than tied and T-Row price. Mm. And it's when I got to work with 3M and Charles Schwab and the German government in this way that I'm like, oh yeah, no, I can make a difference doing my own thing, showing these companies how much more beneficial it is to take a more grounded approach in empathetic communication rather than just cool, splashy in communication. You can have both. So you're kind of bringing the human element. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's, I speak to humans. I work with humans. I help other humans. That is very, very important to me because design can get very, you know, Pantone color of the year or very jargony, very elitist. But at the end of the day, without the client who needs the designer, Without the product, how are you going to have packaging? Without the audience, how are you going to have the message? And this is where I live. But that's not usually the case, especially with other designers. It can be very, oh, the client sucks. Well, without the client, where would you be? Where? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so in that way, it becomes a very collaborative experience. You know, as cliche as it sounds, Achieving my dream is actually helping others achieve their dreams because to see others believe in themselves and put the work in and the effort in against all odds, you know, against the opposition, against anyone saying that's stupid. It's so inspiring. Those are my favorite stories because that's the thing that that lights me up and keeps me going. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I could I can relate to that. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we're kind of all here to help each other and to help other people. I really do. I feel that that our goal is to give back. Yes. And to remind and remember that we are the same mm-hmm. and connected. Sometimes it takes longer than others, but I've always felt connected to my kindred brethren And so to choose that over money, to choose that over, you know, the J. Crew shopping sprees was infinitely more important to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, more rewarding. Yeah. I had trouble saying that word. (laughs) (laughs) So how long did it take you to kind of build your business up and where did you start? 
I graduated Ringling's College of Art and Design with a degree in graphic design, uh, May 2007. And by 2008, I'd had a job at an agency and I really wasn't happy. So I left that job after six months um, and then the economy crashed. So I thought, well, I'm not really happy being in New York, even though I'm from New Jersey. And if you're from New Jersey, you just go to New York. Like that's the thing you do. But it just wasn't connecting for me. And so I lived with my mom and I was putting just stuff on Behance, which is a graphic design portfolio site that's like you could search creatives. And I got an email from a company in Moldova looking for a female designer. And that's how I started. It was just, oh yeah, I could work from my house and make logos for people in the wedding industry. Like that sounds bomb. And it was. And within a couple of months, I was a design director. So I moved to LA with my boyfriend who was in the army and still working with that company in Moldova, running the team of 20 or so dudes while running clients. And so, you know, I would have a deadline of every two weeks, client, 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 client. And I just was, the more I am given, the more I can do. And so within three years, I had branded a thousand, maybe a little more, while working with American Greetings, while working with Pop Sugar, while we're just, okay, yes, all right, minimalism is not my thing. <laughs> but I was doing it for 28,000 a year. <laughs> and when you were managing a team in Moldova from Los Angeles, I'm working until 2 a.m. to greet them at their 7 a.m. or their 9 a.m. and saying, here's what you missed, here's what we need, here's what I need from you. Going to sleep, waking up, and greeting them before they left the office. And just being very, you know, it was just, that was my entire life. And the stress was that was unreal. So when I got fired for asking for a raise, I'm like, you're good. I'm going to do my own thing. And that's when I started Puree Fantastico. Because up until then, I didn't have the chutzpah to say, I can get these clients on my own. And it's like, yes, you can. You absolutely can. And I have, you know, especially in 2020, they still came. They still came. And I didn't have to do anything. That's been very important for me to recognize during this time is like just being myself, putting it out there just as it started and it comes. And what is behind the name? Ah, so <laughs> it's one of those moments where it's 2007. I'm in New York flying home. It's December. And I see my own design work in a regional print annual. So I'm like, oh my God, my work is printed. I'm so excited. And across from me is a really cute boy looking at the same magazine. And I'm like, he's gonna see my work. And in this excitement, I say, how could I ever explain to someone all of the things that I can do? How, how could I ever say to someone, this is all that I can do? And my brain goes, puree fantastico. And I sit there in complete silence, like, because that's a thing people say, just puree fantastico. And I went on my flight and I flew home to my mother. And the minute I got to a computer, I looked it up and there was nothing. So I bought the domain. And that is, that's the truth where it's like, how do I do this? That's an interesting concept brain. And there it is. I like that. Sometimes we just get messages. I did not realize naming was a service because of how quickly the name, the tagline, anything just is like, <laughs> and that's such a chutzpah moment because I, I cannot express to you the amount of times people have misspelled it, mispronounced it. Yeah. And I hate it because I come up with, with all my own names. I came up with my own name for this podcast and everything. And then people were like, mm, that's not a good name. And I'm like, mm, and you don't get to name it. <laughs> But to me, it's like, look, it's such a strong metaphor for everything I'm here doing. I love it. When I say puree fantastico, it is an instant smile on my face. How am I going to argue with that? I cannot. 
I cannot. And so I don't. Well, and it's kind of like, you know, some people argue that really what, what matters is having a brand that other people can relate to, sell, say, an unknown adventure. That's a mouthful. It's hard to say it. But yeah, I have named all my own companies. I have named everything. And people have argued with me left and right. And I'm like, nah, I'm keeping it. It is so important to nurture the inner gut that communicates with you. Like I have named my plants. Everything has a name. And that's just the truth of it. That is simply how it is now. Um, And so when I name, this year I got to name uh, a line of torch fuel. I'm a sole creative provider for a company in Texas. And so I've gotten to name torch fuel and it was so much fun to name such a boring product, (laughs) you know, like the fuel that goes into the lanterns that you sit in the restaurant. Oh, what, what, what did you name them? Luminescent. Luminescent was the major company. And then I got to brand it and work on packaging. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah. And that makes sense. Yeah. I have this one plant that named itself when I got it and it's a weird name. Her name is Donatella, but it was the same kind of thing where it just popped into my head. Yeah. And that's her name. I call her Donna for short. She's the only plant that I have that has names, a name, and I have a lot of plants. Yep. (laughs) I named my basil in honor of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It is Ruth Basil Ginsburg. Oh, that's cute. Because she was super tall and very sturdy. And I'm like, ah, yes, I believe in you. Thank you. Aw, that's really cute. That's very cute. I do like Donatella. It's very sassy. It is sassy. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because of Donatello. But that's not where I got the Like, really, it just downloaded. Fair enough. I'm not here to judge. That sounds awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And nothing wrong with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles either. So there you go. Mixed with Donatello Versace. Like Donatello could be in drag. That beautiful gold wig. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. I like that. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So what responses do you get from other people? And what responses did you get when you first started out? It was challenging to have people recognize the depth of what I do and the background of what I do. That took a long time. I would say consistently until maybe 2017, so five years, because it was like, oh, can you do my brochure? Oh, I have stickers. Oh, I have a t-shirt. And I would just do it because I need to pay my bills. But then I was realizing how unhappy I was. And I had a talking to, to myself, where I'm like, this is your business. You made this. You are the one who is in charge of it. If you are unhappy, fix it. And so I did. And I fired my team. And I took some time. And I became the design science and strategy company, come hell or high water. And I started rejecting projects that didn't really lift me that didn't really communicate on a deeper level or recommending them out you know and I started looking into more intellectual property and courses just a different track for where I'm at and what I'm interested in but what I get all the time is what do you actually do and it's like if I listed all of the things I could do your eyes would melt through your face I have seen it happen and so what I've started to do is just send people a PDF or I have a link where it's like all of the services. But in reality, I help people make sense through communicating, through visuals, through verbs, through strategy. That's, I mean, I've worked on photo shoots. I've worked with the German government. I've worked on apps, on websites, on na- I mean, it, commercials, film. It does not matter. I help people communicate. And that's where I go because it is such an abstraction. It is such a deeper thing. It's like, I don't care what we're doing. I will figure it out. We will do it together. You will succeed. So that sounds like sociology. Well, the, see, the anthropology comes from, okay, so specifically with the German government, what I did there was they supported a school for students in the Middle East to learn music in an area in which all cultures were celebrated aka Jews are people too. 
So in there, I could not have any blue. We could not have any mention of Jews or Israel or anything. The language was very specific. The design was very specific. And so that culture is protected, but also subtly nurtured. Because what you're saying is learn a different way, be open, express yourself, come learn in a safe environment that doesn't harm families. In terms of a client I worked with where she was launching a feminist platform, I'm helping culture not just with someone believing in her vision of breaking down the patriarchy, but showing how design can change language, can change point of view, can help you feel more in tune with one another. That is influencing culture. And so it, it's not just, oh yeah, I made a, I mean, I have worked with artists and I have worked with sex toys and all uh, bur burlesque dancers, but in there, I'm helping the culture be more accepting. So that, that is it for me where it's like, no, design is very important for culture. We just don't utilize it. It's like having the most perfect set of tools. They're just collecting dust. They're just collecting. So it's like, let me play. Let me play. I can show you. Let me show you. It's fine. Kind of opens up like a whole new world for it. That's what I hope. It's one of those moments where it was so obvious to me in, in college. I mean, it, it got to the point where I was making posters using PEMDAS. So like parentheses, exponents, multiplication, division, uh, you know what I'm talking about, simple mathematics, to show character relationships in a movie called Magnolia. The project was represent a narrative visually. And so the movie's all about relationships. How do you show relationships? Of course you use math, says Jenny, because I was in geometry competitions as a kid. Love math, love math. And to me, it was a very clear equation. I'm 23. I have done eighth grade algebra with other 23 year olds. And they're like, can you solve it for us? We don't get it. It's like, how do you not get this? How? Because I have a very different brain that takes it for granted because it is so obviously clear to me. Like I'm looking at your face, it's obviously clear. And when you come to that place, you realize that it's different and you realize that it's your responsibility to bring that to the world. You can't always get mad that they're not seeing it. You have to take the time to show it. And so I have been working on a very, very long research project. It'll be 13 years this March. Wow. That's long. <laughs> That's long. Yeah. I have to show how this works, to show the commonalities between a culture and the messages and the way that the messages are constructed and communicated using film as a lens. I've written 450,000 words in a database. I designed software to house the data. I designed a, a prototype and made that work. I designed the entire website. And now I'm creative directing a developer and an assistant while writing the content. Minimalism is not my thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> what is the goal of that? The goal of that is, is, it's a lot to be like, here is my point of view with design, but that's the truth. People have yet to understand it, even through with the German government or with a, a logo or with a commercial, there's so many things that get lost. This is an expansive way to walk people through it that is fun, not a lecture, an invitation. So even the, the digital experience has yet to be burst onto the internet. And that is saying something because it took me six years to find a developer to even understand what I wanted out of this website. And people would say, oh, you just have to know what you want. Oh, I know what I want because the vision was instantly clear. How do I walk people through understanding that visuals, strategy, and dialogue or verb, you know, copywriting, the exact same stimulus, the exact same information. It's just the tone 
and the delivery and the pairing and the layering and the order and the repetition. I mean, like, that's what design is. So that's for me. Yes, yes, it's very obvious, but it's not. And so it took me this long to come up with that and to deliver that while also working on my business and having a life. It doesn't sound like you have much of a life, I'm just saying. And- <laughs> but I do. <laughs> it's a very full life. What is the end goal for this project? First of all, to show what, what design is capable of, aka a really nice PR boost for my business. But two, I really feel like... A, a school of design, a different approach to design is what I'm working on. So the end goal is to say, here's how we can use design. Here's how I've been using design. Here's this big, splashy, interesting thing to show you in a fun way. Come talk to me. So you're using design to engage people in the conversation. Yes. It all started with how come when I see a Kubrick film, I receive so many more messages. I receive so many different things than what's being provided to me. What's that about, everyone? Subtext. <laughs> I, and I'm such a curious person that I spent weeks researching. And what I researched is he uses the same methodology as design. He uses strategy and visuals. Planning the visual strategically. Done. So then why is a book or a blog the best way to go about it? It's not. It's not efficient. It's not helpful. And the famous last words were, I'm a graphic designer. I should improve this. 13 years later, here I am. It's funny. Well, when I, cause I, I have my degree in film and when I was in film school, we would, we would stop the the films and there would be like one or two frames of something that was and it would be so fast that you your eye wouldn't catch it but your subconscious would most mostly in horror films yep but that's semiotics that's semiotics and design runs on semiotics and the thing that i realized is you can't hold your hand like it's a it's a mental game of twister you lose appendages and then it's like i'm so for pits i'm so stressed out i can't even remember this thing i'm supposed to be remembering i'm just overwhelmed and so the thing i built allows people to hold that space in the real time and look and consider and say wow i didn't realize this wow, I did not put this, and you would never realize it in the film. That's the point. Right. That is the point. <laughs> that is the point. But the ability to strengthen this muscle and, and to recognize that it's even possible that it could be there begins the conversation of what are we really looking at? What are we really experiencing? And not even paying attention what's going in our mind. So it's a lot and it's it's for designers it's for filmmakers it's for anybody who's curious that's interesting but you know there is because I'm also an author and there is a lot of subtext in writing that you know we plant but we do, we're not overt and a lot of it is showing not telling you know where somebody like you know maybe turns their back to somebody and then you get that they're aloof or that they don't care but you're not saying that or dropping like a little you know in, in romance you're always writing about how the other character smells and then you're like oh that's a romance cue you know stuff like that where there's there's subtext it's just not visual true it's true and it's it's challenging because in that context a book would feel the most natural to write about another book, but it would have the same issue where it's like, how do I show the juxtaposition of this paragraph and that paragraph in a book? You cannot, because in one moment you're looking for paragraph one, and then you're looking for paragraph two. And at no point are you looking at these two paragraphs together to show the overlap. And I know it seems really naked, but this is so much more helpful when you're thinking about the internal messaging that is created by an image. There is a group, I would say either a couple, uh, Tom and Lorenzo, fabulously opinionated. 
and they write about the semiotics of clothes. It was the, one of the first moments where I felt normal thinking about the visualization. And they started with Mad Men costumes. Oh, Mad Men. The depth and the richness in their messaging. And they would write 2,000 words on an outfit that Joan wore in a scene. And I'm like, yup, thank you, yes, thank you, yes. And so there were these moments of breadcrumb where I'm like, it's okay that no one understands you. It's okay that people are just tagging you in the shining stuff. And it's like, it's not about the shining. I'm just using the shining. I'm just using it. But the, the analogy I came up with to quell that issue was you don't go to the gym because you're obsessed with the treadmill. You go to the gym and you use the treadmill for whatever purpose you're using the treadmill and then you walk away from the treadmill. I don't give a shit about this treadmill. I don't care about the film. The film is just, for whatever reason, very ingrained in our culture 40 years after it's been created and is referenced a lot. This baffles me for what the content is and so that's why I've stuck with The Shining. Are we, we're talking... Rick. Yeah, but what film were you referring to at the beginning? Ah, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. He created 2001 Space Odyssey purely through semiotics. It, it's supposed to bypass the, the consciousness and be under, understood by the subconscious, which is wrap it up semiotics. It's why everybody sees something differently. So I was watching The Shining to be like... Well, if he worked in semiotics in 1968, every film he made after would be affected by this process, whether he wanted to or not. Because anytime you grow creatively, you just grow creatively, you don't go back. And that was like, oh, damn. When I saw 2001, I was floored. Oh, I was completely floored. I was... I was like plastered to the couch, like, what am I watching? It's my favorite film. Anytime a human does something superhuman, I'm like, oh my God. I felt the same way with Hamilton and Lin-Manuel Miranda. Anytime someone does something so great, it makes it all better for all of the humans. And 2001 is about how great humans can be. It is a love letter to humanity. I was jumping up on the couch when I realized he was using a match cut and semiotics to show thought where the ape is using the bone to be like, oh, I could use this as a tool. And then it becomes a responsibility. And then it becomes about the Cold War and America and Russia. And it's like, oh, God, yes. I was blown away. And, and even in Clockwork Orange, which is like... Brutal. Brutal. But so good. But so good. I have yet to find the good. I see the quality. Yeah. And for me, a Clockwork Orange will... Um, it's been a while because it's very challenging for me to see it. But I'm perplexed by why his first image is an upskirt shot of a bride being hung. My brain just wants to piece that sentence together so badly. And I don't even remember that. Oh, God. Well, I have close to a photographic memory, especially when emotions are concerned. And it's like, oh, God, I feel it. But there is such a mixture of high and low art, Victorian society, and then the degradation society, the left and right political cultures. Like, who recreates these messages in every film? every film and so for me it's like let's just unpack it and I'll show you all the parts and I can put it back in like there you go there's your pie yeah and it must be interesting like using a movie that's been a book you know like The Shining written by Stephen King and then translated yeah and that is another layer of it for me that's showing the design brief because when you read the book Okay, when I read the book as a designer, I'm like, oh, I can totally see where Kubrick got this direction. Oh, I totally see that. Because when you receive a brief, you're like, oh, let's translate this idea in this visual way. Oh, this, and it just happens. It just happens. And so that's reading that and seeing the film 
You know, you can understand why Stephen King felt upset because it's a completely different story. But the story was pulled entirely from the book. It's just Kubrick was like, yes, yes, I hear you that you were an alcoholic and you want a redemption story because you don't want to see yourself as an asshole. However, here's the reality. Here's the reality of living with an alcoholic asshole. I'm so sorry you don't like that. Here's Jack Nicholson. That's what I feel like is The Shining. Wow. Yeah. And the and the movie the movie is almost better. You know, there are some movies that I there are very few movies that are better than books. Very, very few. Like I can't even really I I know I've I've seen well, actually the magician's TV show was better than the book. But you know, it's it, it, very few. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's like the the book is so personal. The experience of reading a book is so personal that no one will be able to translate it exactly as you experience. It is impossible. But I really do. I, I have to lean on design again for that translation quality because that's how. When I say design, it's a translation service. We'll never see the same color. We'll never see the same quality of that color. You trust what you see. I trust what I see. Do they match? Good. But they're never the same. And so that is a quality that I'm used to it. Like there is a an interview that Kubrick does, I think right before 2001. It's on my DVD copy of 2001. So I can't like pause it it plays on the menu and the interviewer is asking about Lolita and the interviewer says you know were you surprised that so many people were upset at how you portrayed Lolita and the disdain in Kubrick's voice didn't anybody read the book and it's like you are not aware of the subjectivity that comes with translating information good sir but as a designer there is that's the truth a client will say doesn't that just look like the best version? You're like, yes, yes. it. Because what am I going to say? No, of course it does. That's what they're telling me it looks like. That's what they want. Unless it's a complete obvious 180 no. Like, yes, of course that's what that looks like. Oh my God, how perfect. Yeah, that's interesting about the, the Lolita comment. That's because when I, so when I saw the film, it was, you know, a long time ago and Pretty Baby. Remember that? Pretty Baby with Brooke Shields. Mm-mm. Okay. Well, it's very similar. I thought it was actually, I thought it was based on Lolita where she's like, she's a virgin and she's like 12 and she's brought out on a platter. Back in the day when I saw it, I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then when I actually read or tried to read Lolita, I got through like page five and I was like, I can't read this. It's horrible. Yeah. I've, and I've never read it. I only watched it to compare pre-2001 Kubrick film and post-2001 Kubrick film. And they are very different. Yeah. Well, and I was like, I don't care how good of a writer Nabokov is. I don't care. I cannot read this book. <laughs> I, I was I was screaming. I find it gross. I found the movie gross. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I'd like to think that was the point. Yeah. I think that was the point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like when you watch Rosemary's baby now, the movie is so outrageously patriarchal that it almost becomes a parody of 1960s life. And it's like, is she supposed to be an infant? Like, are we, is she's Rosemary's baby? And it's like, no, that's just how life was back then. And that's very distressing. Well, and that's, that's how it was like I think it was different with Lolita and Pretty Baby. That was it was a different time. Yeah. It's real hard. And it's real hard that it's not even talked about. Yeah. But you know, art changes. I mean, back I don't know. I just I like I look at some of the art art, like in, you know, in Rome or whatever, and what the artists were doing then. And, you know, I mean, even that has changed and some stuff would be scandal now or was scandal then and I find all that really interesting. You couldn't even show ankles on the Victorian hour or like say the word leg. Like I totally get it. It's just when, when it seems so obviously wrong to you now and there is no way to talk about it or there has not been a way to talk about it. It seems very disjointing. 
very like, oh, like someone just splashes cold water in your face and you're not supposed to react or respond to that. Just seems very strange. Totally. So where do you, like, where do you see your future? For me, it becomes a think tank because one of the things I really do want to do and participate in is helping other businesses teach this to their employees, teach this to their creative team, because it's one thing to judge and say, you're not doing it. It's another to help and show. And that's where I would love to go next. And then to have more of a think tank where I'm presented with problems or ways to communicate or pitfalls in communication. That's like, oh, let's use this technique with this visual style to communicate to this market. So more empathetic marketing. Mm, I like that. Yeah, because that's how I operate now. But before the pandemic, there was a swath of school shootings. And I'm grateful that the school shootings have stopped, but it's only because we forced to stay at home. And so for a while it was, well, how can I create a campaign that addresses, you know, gun violence, but still being sensitive to gun rights? And that stuff I think about for, for fun, when I'm supposed to be relaxing in bed, I'm playing with my cats being like, yes, but how would we communicate that to the people in Arkansas? And that's just, that's who I am. That's why my business is the way that it is. Right. Well, and, and that's important. Yeah. People are angry. People are hurt. There's, there's so much that could be healed with empathy and communication and inclusivity. And yeah, I do try and figure out how to talk to incels, even though they would hate my guts, because I have to figure out how to bridge that gap. When Trump was elected, it was harder. And I'm like, oh, I clearly am not equipped for the level that we are here. Like, I just, I knew that I was not prepared, but I still am plagued by it. It has not left me, even though I just want to eat ice cream and cake until the 20th of January. But the thing is, that's really interesting about that is that, it, that it's real, you know, because it's not Trump. No. That's what, that's what I keep coming back to. It's not Trump. Trump is the, the pimple. The pimple on the face, but not the clogged pore. And that's when he was elected, when Charlottesville happened, it just became more and more obvious that he represented things that were not going away. It's like, yes, okay, he can lose the presidency. Yeah, okay, they can take down the Trump flag. These beliefs are still sown so deeply within the hurt of these people. And. It's, it's, it's like when you're dealing with a narcissist, you cannot heal the narcissist. It becomes like a, a black hole situation. Is that what we're dealing with? Is there a, a way to deal with this? And that's where I go. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Like scary, but really interesting. The whole psychology of, you know, I've been, I was talking to a friend today who's in Barcelona and he's from California, from the town I live in. And just the idea that there are so many liberals in my little teeny town in Marin County that are all anti-vaxxers and pro-Trump. And they're, yeah, and it's just, it's become this like fascinating QAnon <laughs> side rail, a derail. I don't know. I don't even know what's going on. I, ha I had to unfriend people on Facebook recently because it's too much. I can't, I can't do the conspiracy theory. So I, I completely agree. Here's how I have logic this out because I was a part of a lot of astrology groups and I, I also find it quite fascinating that I have zero Virgo friends and endless Gemini friends. And that's what started that. But in those groups, it became very anti-vaxxer, very conspiracy, very 5g is coming to kill you. And I'm like, okay, these seem like very opposite spectrums, but I think they are so opposite that they begin to touch on the other side. I think it's fascinating about astrology. It is not the be all end all. I enjoy the energetic guidance. I like astrology. However, if you are in a space where you're like these planets and these asteroids definitely influence my life, you have already unhooked yourself from a level of practicality and then it becomes I can't trust things. I don't have grounding. Oh, this looks scary. 
I now react to that. And it's, I, but, and it's also like a loss of free will. I think it's like, okay, I can see certain things too in astrology that I'm like, Oh, okay. That, that, yeah. Okay. Well, it becomes a religion. It becomes a religion. Anytime you relinquish that sense of control or that sense of self, or you weigh things out against any other guidance, Scientology, beach body coaches. I mean, it, it doesn't, you know, the MLM stuff, like, it's just, okay, okay, let's just ground ourselves for five minutes in reality. This is fine. This is good. But then you're condescending. Then you're getting in the way of someone else's truth. Yeah. And I'm very much like the world is big enough for all of us. I'm just back away and have my corner and respect you. And then we're good. Yeah. And, and if you talk to people that believe in stuff that we don't believe in, like one time I got into a cab in New Orleans and I, I don't know how the conversation came up, but the cab, the Uber driver was like, oh yeah, I believe the earth is flat. And I was like, what really? You're a flat earther. Tell me everything because I am. <laughs> <laughs> vacation. It's a mind vacation. How, how do you have these thoughts? Yeah, I probably was condescending, honestly, but I didn't mean to come across as con- like I actually was interested because I'd never met a flat earther before. So I was like, wow. Yeah, because we don't live in the 1400s. That's all I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I am so baffled that we go and rethink things that don't need to be rethought, but cannot come to consensus that women need to be in control of their bodies. Like of all of the things to rework, could we not rework that? How about how black people don't need to be shot in the street? Let's rethink this flat earth. Copernicus nailed this. Like we are good. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting. I find all that, like, the weird psychology. I don't know why it fascinates me. Like, maybe it shouldn't. It makes me want to push them farther along the evolutionary process, like someone not moving in line in the grocery store. Yeah, or we could push them off the edge of the earth. (laughs) What is that? It's like, if there was a flat earth, the cats would have pushed everything off the edge by now. And I have four of them. And I'm like, that's the truth. There is truth there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How how do they like I didn't even ask him what happens when you get to the edge. Boy, I really the the next time I meet a flat earther, that's going to be my first question. (laughs) You know what? Just have a running tab of questions. Like, hold on. I have been preparing for this moment. (laughs) I totally could. I use Evernote for everything. I totally could do that. I am probably well, I'm grateful that we don't have parties because I'm sure I'm probably very annoying. But I, I do the same, like with people who don't believe in climate change. It's like, okay, uh, well, and it's usually uh, men. And so I've said, okay, 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 you're 40. Are you going to go get a you know a prostate exam? You don't know. You don't know if it's going to do anything or if you have cancer, but you're going to take the test and do the precautions anyway, just to make sure you're going to do that. And the look he gave me was like, this lady. I'm like, I'm just trying to get to the logic here. Just trying to get there because it drives me crazy that people will put like, you know, the accessories on it, but not see that the meat is the same or the dress is the same or whatever the analogy is. Yeah. Yeah. Apply the logic. Yeah. I know. I know. It's really interesting. I'm going to send you, I just read two articles that are, that are similar with the, the stuff we've been talking about. And I, I I just find them fascinating. One is about how this guy believes that America is more psychotic or has more psychopaths than anywhere else in the world. I did see this. I did see this today. That was a good one, right? I have not read it. I'm like, I don't, it was one of those moments where I don't know if I want this information. Oh, it's good. Okay. It's good. There was one thing I didn't agree with in the article, but everything else I I was like, yeah, it's right on. And then there was one about, you know, the whole new age movement is breeding narcissists. And I was like, yeah. And that one was almost even better. I was like, yeah. The spiritual bypassing. Yeah. Well, and there is a a type of narcissism that is, I forget, I, I tried to look it up the other day and I couldn't find it. 
but it is in the DSM that's about altruism or people that give and help others, but it's actually a type of narcissism because they're doing it so that they can get the accolades. <laughs> they're, not, they're not doing it to just get, yep. they're not being altruistic. So no, you watch the great British baking show. No, but I know of it. I love it. Okay. Cake kindness. British accents. I'm into it. Okay. That sounds great. But there was one, I will not spoil, but there was a contestant who I felt was this way. And it was like the pity me, pity me. I'm so terrible. I'm so awful narcissist. And everybody was like, no, you're really good. No, you're super good. And it's like, I was so sickened by this person's behavior. And I'm like, why doesn't anybody see it? It's a, it's a ploy for attention. And I just like, couldn't move beyond it. And it was like, oh, he's so endearing. Oh, everyone just loves him. I'm like, that's okay, good. Maybe I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, that's the victim narcissist. Yeah. Why don't they just come with like colors? And then you can be like, oh, I see. You're a yellow narcissist. No, no, we're good. <laughs> totally. Well, they're not that hard to spot though. No, that's true. Especially when you're an empath like me. And you talk to them for five minutes. <laughs> So let me ask you, number one, what would you tell other people to aspire to? And number two, which may be the same answer, is if you could tell yourself when you were 12 years old something that you know now, what would it be? Mm. Something to aspire to would be to make the voice inside louder than any external voice. And make sure the voice inside is your voice. Because there have been many voices inside of me that were not my own, but now the voice inside of there's a few. And it's not schizophrenia. I have a lot of personality. I have just a lot of internal strength that I rely on now. So that would be my gift. How would you tell which is your voice and which is like, like this one class I took, they call the other voice, the negative voice, your dark side, but whatever you want to call it. How do you differentiate? I confront them and I interview them. When I had my mother in my head, I would have to be like, who says? Who cares? Who gives a shit? And I would just very much yell out loud, be like, this is dumb. Stop talking. And then it became my own voice when I would burst into parody or I would giggle at something or my husband and I would play this game where we would make up what random acronyms stood for that we would see on the street, like just playful silliness. And then I would hear my own silliness. And then when things got stressful, I heard my own strengths. And less that voice, you know, the more I did those things, the less the internal voice that wasn't mine, it went away. And now I don't have that voice at all. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's very true. That's awesome. Yeah. For the 12 year old, 12 was really hard for me. So it would be love yourself more than you love anybody else or that you want anyone else to love you. That is what I would stick with from as early as 12, but definitely across my entire life. Cause it was hard. It was hard. I was not understood as a kid. I was hardly understood at like 25 so the ability to love myself is regarded as a miracle from those in the therapy profession, but it's real and I definitely have it and I definitely love myself, but it would be a little bit easier, a little bit uh, shortcutty if I had loved myself earlier. It's one of those moments where it's like, okay, where would I go back to? And then you realize all of the things that you've earned and have grown and have experienced. It's like, but I wouldn't want to give up that. I wouldn't want to trade in him. I wouldn't want to lose my beautiful kitties. I can't go back. And then you just have to accept that you are where you are and things are good as they are. Yeah. And you are who you are because of all the things you experienced. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a mixture of because of and in spite of. Mix that up. And that's that's the truth. And it's like, oh, I, I kind of love myself right now. So with that, like, I like this. That's good. That's important. Yeah. It's everything, especially during 2020 when we're all stuck at home 
like, oh, you better be your bestest friend right now. And I totally have been. Uh, I just got even more weird. That's all I'm going to say is like, I doubled down on the weird. Weird is good. Weird is the best. Weird's underrated. (sighs) I made a shrimp taco fascinator for fun out of felt. And I wear it around the house. What? what? A shrimp taco (laughs) hat. Oh, cute. I'll send you a picture. Yeah. Okay, I want to see a picture. You know what I, my new thing is, and I've only had it once, but I have one in the fridge right now, is a shrimp burger, Oh, which is, yeah, it's shrimp in a burger. It's just smushed into a burger, and it's got pepper and salt, because, because my friend was like, what are the ingredients? Because I was like, it's so good. <laughs> and I sent him a picture. I can send you the picture. It's like wild-caught shrimp burger, and he goes, ah, they totally spoofed you. There's no such thing as a wild-caught shrimp burger. Like it doesn't come in a burger, the shrimp. Well, that's the thing. What I learned watching too much British TV is that they call anything in that shape a burger. Like they don't call it a chicken sandwich. They call it a chicken burger. So on your friend, he doesn't know the UK way. (laughs) Well, he's a, he's a bit of a contrarian. So yeah. Yeah, he's been my he's been my rock this whole this whole COVID. We play video games online three nights a week and we watch <laughs> and we watch TV tonight. We're watching the Mandalorian new season. Yes, yes, I am episode two. Oh, it's so good. No spoilers. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> what do you love about it? Well, I'd never seen it, so we just binge watched it. He'd already seen it. I love the sets, I love the characters, I like the I just yeah, I and I love Baby Yoda. What the hell do I love Baby Yoda for? I thought I would hate Baby Yoda. No, I want a Baby Yoda. How could anyone hate Baby Yoda? This is my question. I honestly feel like Mandalorian is like the action is for the dudes, and then for the rest of us, there's Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. I love action though. I love shoot. I love all that stuff. I hate gun porn, and that's what I call it. Like there's like. No, it is. It's totally gun porn. I love it. I love action movies. I love car chases. Oh, I love that. Like I would like if somebody was like, hey, do you want to watch like a drama or like the born identity? I'd be like, come on. Don't even ask me. I'm not watching drama. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I just like very strongly movies that are intended to make you cry. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. I find those so mean. And it's like, I have pulled over and cried over a billboard. I do not need the swell of music to make me want to rip my ovaries out. Okay. Like, let's just not. Yeah. Commercials. Like, stop manipulating me. I stopped watching This Is Us, the TV show This Is Us. I was like, stop manipulating me. Oh, that, the intimacy gets me every time. I cannot pull away because I love the way they're telling me the story. And that's the truth. Like Handmaid's Tale, Handmaid's Tale felt like I was throwing myself in a fire. Yeah, I won't watch it. I have a friend who's like, I just started watching it. It's like, why in the 2020 would you do that to yourself? I found myself confronting my television and I forever hate Joseph Fiennes now. Like there's nothing that man can do. There is nothing that he could donate all of his money to women's causes forever. I'd be like, not enough. Your brother may have been Voldemort, but you're the real evil is how I feel. (laughs) But that makes sense. I mean, what was that kid in Game of Thrones that was uh, Jeff Joffrey? Ah, yes, Joffrey. He had to stop acting. Like, I hated him. His face. (laughs) It's like, I'm sorry. I know you were a person, but you're not. (laughs) Exactly. That's a good actor, though. That's good acting when we feel that way. It's true. My issue is if you are that good and the reality of who you are playing is so present, please do more that soothes the burn of reality because our politicians will not. It takes the athletes, it takes the actors, like it takes this weird sect of hero gods we love. He's so weaselly in that role that I have screamed so loud at my TV. It's like, oh, you've got some problems. We need to work this out. (laughs) Totally. Totally. I feel you. Yeah. 
Yeah, love to hate them. Yeah. So where can people find you if they need to find you, which I think that they do? Where can they look? If you want a slice of this intensity, purefantastico.com is my offering services. You can see the waterfall of love from all the thousands of clients I've worked with. Instagram at purefantastico and Facebook at Puree Fantastico. I like how it's consistent. Look, you gotta have brand recognition. With a name like Puree Fantastico, just keep saying it. Just keep saying it. Puree Fantastico. Is it, do I have an accent? Puree Fantastico. I mean, you can. The amount of clients that call me Puree, it's so wonderful. That's really cute. I know. I'm like, how's Puree doing? You gotta get Puree on this. It's like, yeah, you do. I love that. You're like, yeah, that's my new name. Sure. It is. I'm now doing my uh, newsletter, Hey, Hey, Puree, or Hey, Hey, It's Puree. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. It's catchy. Aw, well, thank you. This was so fun. Thank you. If you liked what you heard, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts is also highly appreciated. You can find me and more information about AUA on anunknownadventure.com. I do try to leave extensive show notes, including links to everything we talked about today. But if you have any questions or just want to say hi, please do reach out to me on Instagram or my website. And my Instagram is also anunknownadventure. Your adventure awaits, and I'll be looking for you on your personal road of dreams. Uh, 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 uh,